welcome to our continuing 2020 educational webinar series. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. And we help you manage every aspect of a compliance program and our training library provides hundreds of modules that are easy to assign and track. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. This webinar is brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high quality complimentary educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. Please show your support by taking a few minutes to provide a review of First Healthcare Compliance on places such as Google or Facebook. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will find archives of our webinars. Today, we are so pleased to have Warren Cook, president and co-founder of Symbionce HR. Though through this, he provides strategic oversight for service delivery business operations, and technical guidance on consulting engagements. He is a human resources subject matter expert with over 25 years of experience as a strategic human resources business partner, project manager, and people leader across private and public sectors organizations. Warren is responsible for the strategic planning of all client consulting engagements from initial needs assessment and compliance review through delivery of customized strategic solutions that meets the client's business goals. He has a proven track record of providing executive coaching and guidance to business leaders and human resource professionals at all levels, including the C-suite of Fortune 100 companies. Warren is also the Chief Talent Officer and co-founder of Symbionts Hire, a Symbionts company dedicated to providing direct placement talent acquisition services and temporary and contract staffing solutions to the business community. Warren holds a BS in human resource management and an MBA in project management and an MS in industrial and organizational psychology. Warren is the author of Applicant Interview Preparation, Practical Coaching for Today. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the side, uh, on the side right-hand side of your screen or the upper uh, portion of your screen. So Warren, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Catherine, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk to everybody here today. So we're going to cover uh, a lot today regarding how communication can impact uh, harassment and mitigating harassment in the workplace. And so what I'm looking to cover today is really going about defining the harassment problem and what it really means for businesses today. Uh, triggers that happen in the workplace and specifically those triggers that lead to harassing behavior amongst the workforce and within the organization. We're going to cover various communication strategies and tips around that that will help you uh, understand and, and make some enhancements or modifications to your communication strategies to help you mitigate these challenges and problems. We're going to talk about building trust in the workplace and what it means to really leverage communication as a tool to do that. And then we want to cover respect and dignity and how those activities and the things that lead to uh, inclusion can really help with the mitigation and limiting uh, risk and liability around harassment in your workplace. And finally, we're going to cover aspects around training and why training is key. And so this is what we'll cover today. And of course, as Catherine had mentioned, uh, we'll take your questions at the end uh, and do our best to answer them in the time we have. And uh, I look forward to having that uh, engagement with you all. 
So let's get started. My goal today, uh, as with all these webinars with First Healthcare Compliance, is to transfer practical knowledge that I've built, uh, developed and built over the years uh, to, to each of you and make sure that you can walk away from this webinar and apply what you've learned uh, in your respective businesses and organizations. So first and foremost, I'm always looking to make sure that we have that knowledge transfer uh, happening. The second piece is really the, the core here of what we're going to cover, and that's the strategic guidance and advice on making sure you can develop uh, your culture and enhance it and modify it as necessary uh, to build a communication environment that engagement and inclusion is present and alive and well, uh, which ultimately will mitigate the risk and liability associated with harassment in your workplace. So these are the two really core uh, concepts and contracts I have today that I want to accomplished during this time we have together. And so let's talk about defining the harassment problem. Uh, and so, you know, what is it and what is that negative impact? So harassment uh, in the workplace is really often rooted in how people interact and communicate in the workplace with each other. And oftentimes it can be a product of the uh, organization's environment uh, or a product of what the environment of the organization permits or allows. But every individual in your workforce, in your organization, comes into your company and comes into your culture uh, with both conscious and unconscious biases. And those unconscious biases uh, can be anything. It could be bias around how people work. It could be bias about how they communicate. It could be bias around any type of protected characteristic, whether it's gender or race. Uh, sexual orientation, whatever it may be, uh, the, the, the individual's unconscious biases are a product of their environment and their life and past experiences. And so it's really important to recognize that not everybody has this willful intent to act or behave a certain way, but that's just how their behavior has been throughout their life and especially in the workplace. In the IO field, we always talk about how past behaviors is extremely indicative of future behavior. So if someone doesn't address or learn or become self-aware of those unconscious biases, it's very likely that they will continue in each job they have. The other part of harassment being rooted in communication is how people view each other. Uh, and so you take those biases and then you take an individual looking at how someone is treated in the workplace or their role or their responsibilities. And all in all, these kind of combine to become things that influence how your employees will respect, will interact with, or communicate with each other in the workplace. And so we're going to cover a lot of things today throughout this presentation that really explain this in depth and kind of will give you, hopefully, a new perspective on how you can address these things, uh, impact or influence these things, so that you have more control over making sure that everyone in the workplace is treating each other uh, appropriately, which ultimately uh, mitigates this harassment. The unfortunate result of having these biases, of having bad perception of others in the workplace or bad perception of behaviors in the workplace leads to harassing treatment uh, by one employee to another employee, whether it's a manager to a manager, an employee to employee, by up and down, doesn't matter. Somehow harassment could take place and usually it's rooted in how they view each other and how they communicate. And so some of the triggers that are available for harassment, and we want to make sure you're really aware of these and considering them, and the triggers are really how your workplace behaviors promote the problem of harassment. And so if you have a destructive culture, and there probably isn't one CEO, business owner that I've talked to that would say our culture is destructive, um, but there often is a disconnect between what the culture's design is or where a small portion of the workforce executes the culture effectively and what the culture really is. You know, and the culture is the behavioral actions and norms of the workplace. So uh, no matter what someone says the culture is, observing the behaviors of the workforce really help you understand what the true culture is. And when I talk about a destructive culture, what I'm talking about is behaviors and actions in the workplace that lead to um, those results that are anything other than ideal to help your business produce the products and services successfully and have the success that your organization wants from a revenue perspective, from a great place to work and other, other things that are important to your organization. So some of the things that lead to a destructive culture are when the leaders or managers of an organization 
are not actually demonstrating core values, not demonstrating the values that they expect from everybody else. And this is a kind of do what I say, not what I do type of mentality that you want to get away from. Lack of respect for the workforce by leaders, and this doesn't mean that they don't respect that they have people doing the work, it's respecting the human beings performing the work, recognizing that they're not just a number or not just a cog in the wheel, but do leaders and managers in your organization actually value that human capital, those great assets of people in the workforce? Because if you don't feel like you're respected, it can lead to challenges, problems, and uh, various types of anxiety in the workplace that, that uh, diminish performance. Inconsistent or lack of honest communication, and this isn't about sharing confidential information or proprietary information, but it's just making sure that um, consistent communication is being promoted throughout an organization uh, to make sure that they feel connected with what's going on and that they're aware of the direction of the company. Um, lack of accountability certainly leads to breakdowns in communication and breakdowns in other aspects of your culture, especially if people are being treated differently. And then you have the individual perception for cause of behaviors. And I want to touch on this for, for a minute or so. Um, if you think about any time where an employee has shared a concern or complaint with you, if you're a business leader or an owner, or if you're a supervisor, where they've come and told you that John Doe or Jane Doe are getting special treatment or they're not being held accountable, that's a perception that they have because of what they observe. And whether or not it's actually true, the matter in which some supervisor or manager is treating that employee uh, leads other to believe that something unfair is happening. And that unfair perspective or perception leads to actions and behaviors because of it. That perception is what you want to try to change and modify for the workplace. So one of the things we'll talk about is how do you how do you do that uh, through communication? And then there's just ignorance due to lack of training and support. And ignorance being they don't know how things are done. They don't know what's going on. They haven't been trained uh, they haven't been given the tools they need. They haven't been given the resources. So all those can lead to a, a destructive culture that lead to this harassing environment. And then finally, if there's a behavior or a pattern of excluding people in the workplace for reasons other than their competence, capabilities, or performance. So if you have a team meeting and you don't include somebody because the meeting has nothing to do with their skill set or their technology or their functional area, that makes sense. But if you're excluding people for a reason that uh, the attendees don't understand or would otherwise assume they'd be included, uh, it can lead to uh, contention in the workplace and uh, un unfortunate views. So that's kind of what a destructive culture would be. Well, let's talk about communication strategies that really are, are ways to go about correcting that, enhancing that, or getting that where you'd like it to be. And rather than a destructive environment or culture, a very productive and enhancing and engaging one. So here's some practical methods that you want to implement in order to have some effective communication. And I'm going to tie a lot of this together as we continue through this. You want to have consistent, frequent, honest, timely communication. So this isn't just about company communication to the workplace, but this goes all the way down to supervisor employee, making sure that when they talk, when they communicate, it's regular, it's timely, and it's honest. You want the management team, you want your supervisors to be direct and factual with your employees. All these things really create an opportunity to provide feedback, to improve performance, to improve engagement uh, with the employees that's both positive and negative delivered the same way. So when I think about corrective action, I get away from calling it disciplinary action because it sounds very punitive. The first few stages of that engagement with a supervisor providing both positive and negative feedback should be coaching and mentoring. And so if you're coaching and mentoring and you're doing that, whether it's positive and you want them to get better, or whether it's negative performance or activities and you want them to get better, that really creates that honest communication and line of communication back and forth for the employee, demonstrating that you really truly care about their success. And so when it's not presented in this punitive manner, um, you know, it really reflects the supervisor who's trying to give that employee tools, resources, and support to be successful. And if you think back to each and every employee that you hired, when you hired them, you had high hopes of their success and you have high hopes of the value and the contributions they're going to provide to your business. And there's often a breakdown in communication that leads to a breakdown in that high performance. And so a hypo employee doesn't perform at their capacity uh, and doesn't reach that hypo status because of the tools, resources, and support diminishes or changes over time. So that communication can help that there. 
And then conflict is not always negative if it's managed properly. You know, in the HR community for many years, we said conflict resolution, conflict resolution was critical. And then a decade ago or so, there was a whole movement where it was more about conflict management because we do need conflict to spark ideas and diversity of thought. Uh, and as such, you really want to manage it properly. I often give business owners an easy example of if you had engineers that were going to design a vehicle, um, you wouldn't want the first time they disagree on how they're going to design this to all leave the room and walk out. You really want that conflict and those sparks of challenging each other to get to the best resolution or best solution. And so conflict in many aspects is something that should be encouraged when managed professionally with respect and dignity. Uh, and that becomes effective communication and a tool that, as we'll learn through this, can really mitigate those exposures to that unfortunate activities that re result in kind of a harassing or bullying behavior. And then crucial conversations are critical and managers uh, and supervisors should not avoid having those difficult conversations in which when I talk about a crucial conversation that are going to be emotionally driven, they're going to be um, taken potentially personally. There's a lot of emotional intelligence required to have those conversations. And usually it's a turning point in a relationship with an employee uh, to help them stay on track or to accomplish what you need them to. So these are all tools you want to put into your toolbox as far as making sure you're having effective communication with your employees. The other piece of communication here that we really want to cover is that it's two-way communication. So it shouldn't just be downward communication to your employees telling them everything that you want them to hear, but you have to give these employees the opportunity and empowerment to communicate upward to management, to the supervisor. And so in order to do that, you have to be welcoming, you have to give them the tools they need to actually do that. One of the things I, I often advocate is making sure your employees are trained on how to present uh, their ideas and how to present their suggestions to a supervisor or to a management team member teach your employees how to build that business case and educate them on what you as a manager would need to know in order to make the decision. If you're doing that, and that's what I mean by enabling and empowering them, you give them tools and the training on how to communicate, and then that communication becomes a lot more effective and beneficial for everyone. You don't want employees to feel targeted or retaliated against for communicating concerns or problems. And so if your culture has a situation where they say, hey, we, we encourage you to give us feedback, and then anybody who does seems to get targeted or there's a perception that that person is mistreated afterwards, you've diminished the effectiveness of that two-way communication. You want your supervisors to really learn how to encourage and welcome feedback on their own performance. And so when I think about uh, teaching employees and managers on how to manage up, one of the things I would strongly suggest is that one, you teach your supervisors to listen really well and accept feedback, but also actually encourage it. A supervisor having a performance discussion with an employee should always, at some point during that conversation, ask the employee, is there anything that they could be doing better to help the employee be successful? Is there anything that the employee feels that they need to change or do differently so that they can all be successful together for the company? That willingness to drop that guard and hear that feedback is a big step in improving your communication and making sure that that two-way communication actually is real and it starts to build trust between the individuals. And then performance management, it shouldn't only encourage, but it should embed that two-way communication in the process. So if you have a performance review process where uh, you bring an employee in, you sit them down, you tell them what they've done good, you tell them what they've done bad, and you let them go, that's probably not an effective uh, contributor to this two-way communication, to inclusive behavior, and to uh, empowering that employee. I recommend that one of the things you embed in that process is the mutual establishment of goals, that you take time to evaluate the employee's professional goals and how you as a business can help them reach those goals, and then what that individual supervisor will do to contribute to that uh, goal attainment. That right there becomes another opportunity, and you can build that in as an opportunity uh, for two-way communication. A lot of organizations might not have a lot of opportunities to engage at all levels with their employees, but if you embed this process or this practice into your performance management program, uh, you're really teaching everybody on how to communicate effectively and how to listen effectively and collaborate. And so all that communication and what this is leading to is the better you can communicate, the more honest and open you are and the more willing you are to listen. 
uh, to feedback from your employees and to listen to information coming your way builds trust. And if you don't know this, you should really pay attention to this one statement under that building trust line that if your employees don't trust you, you certainly can expect problems. The problem could be in the form of just leaving the company. The problem could be in the form of not being productive or performing well, but it can also lead to a whole host of employee relations issues and as HR professionals like to refer to them as HR nightmares. Um, but you can have problems that result in not building trust and communication is certainly a cornerstone in building that trust. So here's some things that I, I think from my experience and working with business leaders um, all over the country here is leadership involvement is critical. And leadership uh, and, and leaders don't have to necessarily be the top of the organization. We're not only referring to the C-suite. Um, we're talking about those intrinsic leaders who are those that are given the power and authority through their title to be leaders uh, and may manage people. And then we're talking about those extrinsic leaders who people are willing to follow um, because of how they act and perform in the workplace and how they help people. And so here's four points that really, to me, are critical in building that trust uh, and, and enhancing that communication that's going to lead to mitigating uh, this harassing harassment uh, in the workplace uh, that we're talking about today. So you have to demonstrate behaviors that align with your core values, the mission and vision of the organization. If a leader in the organization is not doing that, everything else can easily erode. No matter how much time and effort your HR team, your management team, uh, any other organizations or committees in your, in your company, work diligently to create an environment that is successful for all and engaging and inclusive, if leaders in the company are not following those practices or not adhering to rules or guidelines or policies, it will erode that trust and people will be less likely to follow and they won't create followership, which is where employees willingly will do for those leaders, even if they're not uh, someone who has authority or power over them from a, from a hierarchy perspective. You want leaders to be accessible to the organization. You know, if it's if if a manager or leader of a department, a function, or unit is never visible, never around, uh, someone won't be feel connected to them, and therefore they won't feel like they have any communication opportunity. They can't get information to them, nor can they get information from them. So making sure accessibility is good. You know, some people do town halls, some people do brown bag lunches, some people have uh, webinars, whatever it is. Just make sure at some point that you have some engagement at all levels. So that people don't view you as untouchable up there in some ivory tower. Leaders have to treat their direct reports the same way they want those direct reports to treat everybody in the workforce. And they're really modeling that behavior. So when you think about the involvement from leadership to uh, work with their teams, they're teaching their teams of what they expect and what they should be doing with their teams. So when I work with an organization and I find out that, um, four or five groups are having a really tough time with their employees and productivity is down and performance isn't where they want it to be and expectations aren't being met. And then I have this one manager who seems to be doing really well with their team. I find out that the one team has a great model and agenda for their staff meetings. Um, the communication line is open. Uh, they may allow members of their team to, to lead or facilitate these staff meetings and they model it just like their manager models it with them. These other teams in, in this scenario that I've experienced over and over uh, don't have regular staff meetings. The meetings really involve one-way communication. There's no engagement. And so there's a lack of trust and respect. And so you really want to make sure that as leaders, if you want to make sure there's consistency in your workplace, look at all the day-to-day -day activities that are practical activities that happen all the time they happen so frequently and so often that we don't even think of them as critical components of our communication strategy. But if you teach all of your managers and supervisors how to effectively handle staff meetings, how to effectively disseminate information, how to effectively hear and listen to their employees to bring information back, that consistency goes a long way and modeling that behavior will really create a better culture of communication and engagement. And then this last bullet on this slide is leaders really must be willing to listen uh, to those around them and be open to diversity of thought. That being that you can't be stuck on just one idea and that one idea is the right way, the only way and how things have to get done. And so again, taking a look at leadership involvement, it doesn't mean a CEO needs to get involved at every staff meeting or be directly in the workforce every day. 
but you really want to have involvement. And that third bullet about modeling behavior allows that leader to have involvement all the way down and through the organization. So empowering communication. So now we're getting into how do we empower people to communicate better, which ultimately is going to impact how they treat each other, which will mitigate and hopefully limit the exposure to harassing behavior. Again, whether it's a protected harassment uh, or just bullying in the workplace. You wanna teach the workforce how to communicate their problems or concerns. And again, this means, do you give them the tools and the ways to actually share uh, their challenges with managers or supervisors? You know, don't just preach this open door policy. So many organizations say it's open door policy. They can come and tell us anything. But then if you ask the employees, what do they do day to day if they have a problem, they will not go to their manager because they don't trust them. They won't speak to their supervisor because they don't trust them. Uh, and they, they feel like their only alternative to resolve any issues or problems is either quitting or going externally and filing some kind of complaint or lawsuit to get some justice in their mind. If you're getting to that point with your employees or workforce, uh, you've already failed in establishing and empowering effective communication in the workplace. And so preaching this open door policy really means you have to live it, you have to be willing to listen, but you also have to be willing to take action. So if someone does bring a concern or complaint or issue forward and you've empowered them and you've encouraged them and maybe your policies even mandate that someone has to come forward with issues or concerns if they've observed something, make sure you're taking action and appropriate action on that feedback uh, so that everyone understands that there's a consistent way to handle when communication happens, especially if there's a complaint or concern. And so if a subordinate uh, wants to give you information or feedback, help them do that. And it doesn't have to necessarily be just in your team or just in your department. Recognize that information and really good insight and information can come from anywhere in the organization. And that's really getting to an inclusive environment where it doesn't matter what department or whatever function they're in or even a business unit, someone may be putting time and effort and energy into considering process improvements, um, ways to do things better, uh, identifying challenges and issues. <clears throat> and when that happens, you want to make sure that you are taking that into account and allowing for better communication. We had a situation when I worked with the state of Delaware, uh, we had a situation where when I first joined, I was told that there was an employee uh, in security who had a list that he carried around of all the problems in the courthouse. And this was in one of the uh, three counties that we had. And I was warned by management that, you know, they're just sick and tired of hearing his complaints and hearing his complaints. And one of the first things I said is, this is one a person I definitely want to meet and I want to engage with and I want to learn more about. And really the strategy and how to do that uh, would impact and dictate kind of how I was viewed through the organization as their HR leader. And so I scheduled time with this individual and I empowered them to communicate their issues and concerns. But the way I did it was I sat them down in a room and I asked them to take out their list. And I said, listen, why don't we assume right now that I'm not the HR leader and you're not part of the security team and we're just two people running a business. And in running this business, I understand that you have a lot of concerns or complaints that you want to have addressed. Let's go through them one by one, but we're only going to go through them one by one if you're willing to be part of the solution. And they agreed. And as we went through them, we were able to identify what items or what issues neither of us could solve. And so we had to create an action plan of who could solve them and how do we get the information to them. And then we came up with what could be done about these other items on the list. So immediately half the list disappeared. And the other half were very simple things. And I mean, when I say simple, something as easy as, hey, there's a, there's a, a, a stained uh, tile on the ceiling, a ceiling tile that would look better for the public if we replaced the tile. And no one was willing to listen to that. And it took one phone call to maintenance to get that fixed. So giving this individual the opportunity and empowering them to communicate with someone that was on the leadership team directly, and then getting those, taking the action to get those issues addressed created a trust that now this person who was historically an adversary to the management team became an advocate to other employees to say, if you have questions or problems or concerns, share them, they're willing to listen. And so empowering communication can be extremely useful and powerful to improving performance and creating a, a, a way where you're eliminating an adversarial situation and creating an inclusive environment. And it's not always easy to do because as the fourth bullet points out, 
listening to employees' concerns or complaints can be very painful, especially if there's initiatives or programs that you were part of putting in place or policies and practices, and they're challenging those or they're letting you know those things are failing, especially if someone's telling you the culture's failing, communication's failing, and you thought you're doing a good job. So uh, we really want to be aware of that. And if you're not measuring something, uh, you'll never know. It's not worth doing, right? And so if you're not measuring that performance, if you're not measuring that communication, uh, you could have a gap in knowledge as far as how effective the, the workforce is uh, regarding communication. So painful to hear, but useful information. If used effectively, it can create an inclusive environment. And then that empowering communication becomes a tool that mitigates that harassing or bullying environment because people are on the same page trying to solve problems rather than creating problems. So that leads to respect and dignity. And one of the things that in the example I just gave you was the individual thought they were disrespected because no one would listen to their concerns. You wanna create and make sure you maintain and sustain both respect and dignity in the workplace because that leads to an inclusive environment. It leads to a, an environment in which it's effective and easy to work together, to engage, and to communicate with one another. And so how do we improve that inclusive environment? And how do we address that through respect and dignity? Well, people want to and need to feel a part of something, right? Everybody wants to be part of a successful business, a successful organization. They hope the company makes money so they can make money. Um, they want to achieve some kind of uh, altruistic goals. Maybe they're part of an organization because of the types of services or products they provide to help the community uh, or socially responsible activities. But whatever it is, people do want to be part of that. And people also want to make sure that they have a voice. When I go through and do engagement uh, surveys with organizations, it is often revealed and it's, it's common practice. I can probably uh, say 99% of the time one of the issues is employees don't feel heard because they simply want a voice. Employees don't all expect that their voice is gonna make changes immediately. And they don't actually expect, in my experience, that their ideas all get implemented because they do often have a respect and a reality of they might not have all the answers or they might not have all the information. But you can create a more inclusive environment by recognizing that people do want a voice and there's gotta be a way to give them that voice to help your business. Now, you want to tap into their intrinsic values in the workforce. So as I just mentioned, some people work to make money. Some people work to be part of a team. Some people work because they like the product or services. Um, but also, some people work in certain industries or companies simply because they know it ties to their core values. So a lot of my career was spent in the pharmaceutical industry. Why? Because I knew at the end of the day, the research and development, the development and production, manufacturing and distribution of healthcare products and, and drugs brought to market were helping save lives or helping people. And so even though I knew my role in HR was HR, uh, I knew that helping the workforce meant ultimately I was contributing to that good work. And so those intrinsic values in the workplace are something that you can tap into, that you should step back at times and say, everybody has an opportunity to work wherever they want, right? They can apply to jobs at any company, but these people choose every day to come to my company. They choose to come into this business and help us, whether it's a business organization, a nonprofit, whatever it may be, they come there every day to help you be successful. And so tap into that when you're looking for ways to be inclusive and engage your employees and engage your workforce, because as you do these steps, as you improve that communication, as you build on that trust, as you demonstrate and actually live an environment where you're giving each and every employee the respect and dignity they deserve, it creates less opportunity and less chance for employees to go at each other's throats or attack each other because they're being treated fairly and they're being respected and their voice is heard. And you're really eliminating the catalyst for someone to be uh, angry, to be upset, to be in a position to want to hurt their employer or to want to get justice for something that was done wrong to them. And sometimes when an employee doesn't have an opportunity to lash out at the business, they lash out at their peers or they lash out at their supervisor. And so these uh, tactics and strategies to improve your environment, to improve your culture, to be more inclusive are really solid strategies to help you rethink how do you view your people? How do you view that great human asset that you have there?
So tapping into those extrinsic values can really help you. If you look back to what the vision and mission of your company is or your organization, remember that may be the same thing your employees have to heart and leverage that. The next item here is, is silos. A lot of organizations have functional silos, functional barriers, or just people working uh, in, a, in a small tight-knit uh, tight group because they've worked so long together perhaps. You really wanna help break down those functional barriers uh, and you wanna bridge those silos so that communication and ideas are exchanged across the company and across functions and across units. For example, you may have employees that are dealing with submitting expense reports as a very simplistic example. And they find a lot of problems, a lot of challenges with it, but because they're in operations or maybe maintenance or facilities uh, or manufacturing group, um, they don't really have access to speak with the head of finance to share their concerns with the process. And so it becomes a situation where they complain, moan and groan to their supervisors, to their peers about these documents, about the process. And at the end of the day, no one they're speaking to, unless someone high up goes to that other function, has an opportunity to correct or fix it. At the same time, no one is breaking those barriers down to go looking for that information, to be inclusive with those other groups, and to really look for and ask for that information. So find ways to bridge those silos and find ways to break down those functional barriers so that you can gather information and insight from employees across the organization, which will bring ideas to you, and they'll bring them to you even more often if you're asking for them. This is another way to create that two-way communication. It's another way to give people a voice and it's another way to give more focus on the positive activities and less focus on how they could be harassing to one another or how they could engage with each other, complaining or blaming each other because of how they're treated. Again, the perception of how they're being treated is often blamed on someone or something, and it becomes very easy to allow your conscious and unconscious biases to drive that complaint or concern, to drive those feelings of uh, unfair treatment and then explode with those actions and behaviors when really if they just were made to feel included and involved themselves, you can often mitigate or avoid those scenarios because they don't need that outlet. You're giving the employee a positive outlet through communication practices, through inclusive uh, behaviors and actions and culture to exercise their uh, ability to share ideas, to contribute and be valuable to the company. The less valuable an employee feels to the organization uh, over time, the more they're going to find ways to be destructive and it creates that destructive culture. Finally, make sure you're you know, both demonstrating, encouraging, and empowering uh, you know, diversity of thought. And when I say diversity of thought, it's not saying diverse employees. Uh, and diversity has a lot of meetings to a lot of people. Your organization has diversity, no matter who or what are in your organization, it is diverse. What I'm talking about is diversity of thought, being willing to listen to people who may not necessarily be the one you would go to um, historically. So for example, if you normally would go to an accountant in your finance department to get information on the expense program, it may be more effective to go and talk to the 30, 40, 50 users of the expense program and find out what their thoughts are, right? Empowering them. So not going just to that subject matter expert, but expanding and looking for ideas and information and input from those who may not be that functional expert, but they are experts and users of the program or process. If you can find ways to in, uh, become more inclusive in any aspect of your business, you will raise engagement, improve communication, and overall, it generally raises morale and also overall generally will raise uh, the value of the uh, communication and performance uh, itself can uh, be improved and increased. So let's talk here for a second about training and why training is key. And uh, the reality here is you don't wanna assume that your workforce knows how to behave in the business, right? Especially when you have uh, environments where uh, you have a millennial workforce uh, you have a more mature workforce that might be exiting the business. We hear stories all the time about organizations that say, why do you do what you do? And the worst answer that you can get, which is a very often answer, is this is how we've always done it. This is why we've always done it this way. And then again, some people have no idea why things happen in their workforce or why they do things the way they do them. 
And so training is key and training has to happen throughout the life cycle of your employee. And so you've got your periodic training, your mandatory training, uh, and, and more relevant training to specific topics or activities that are going on. Uh, a perfect example of uh, relevant training is right now, uh, all across the country and the world, we're all getting trained on uh, ways to prevent and mitigate uh, the, the COVID-19 virus and aspects of the virus that could impact the workplace and how to keep everybody safe. So this is very relevant training. Uh, it's not your normal HR training. It's something that popped up and you always have those relevant trainings, whether it's regulatory changes, whether it's business changes, whether it's environmental factors, but uh, relevant training is something that you need to consider and uh, be timely to inform and educate your employees. But you wanna train all your new hires on harassment prevention. So from that very beginning, when you hire a new employee, they should be getting as part of your handbook training and part of your handbook policy should include your uh, EEO clauses, it should include your harassment prevention or prohib uh, prohibited harassment activities policy. However you've named it, however you've coined it, uh, you wanna make sure that new hires get that training because it begins the process of teaching a new hire how you want them to communicate these issues what type of communication style is expected and what type of communication is uh, uh, promoted and then what it can expect from you. So new hires should be trained on harassment prevention and then any other company policies or procedures uh, that impact uh, how they engage and how they can be successful. But you also wanna make sure that these company policies, a lot of organizations do the handbook, it's one and done and they never see it again until there's an update. You wanna make sure there's refresher training in place. And that refresher training should be company-wide and it should be mandatory. And so if you have an annual June 1st harassment prevention refresher training, um, anybody that maybe you hired in the prior quarter maybe doesn't need to attend it because of the same, uh, same training potentially, but the rest of the workforce certainly should uh, receive this training annually or biannually. And some states and some jurisdictions actually require training more frequently on the topic of harassment prevention and even mandate a higher level of training uh, and topics to be covered for supervisors and managers so that they understand their responsibilities. And so if you're gonna go through the process of training managers on harassment prevention, I think everything we've touched on and talked about today is equally if not more critical to train and teach your workforce. Because it's one thing to say, here's what you have to do with harassment and here's what you have to do to prevent it and here's what you have to do to report it. But if you haven't already laid the foundation on effective communication, if you haven't already laid the foundation of that trust and laid the foundation of that engagement, uh, giving them the training on harassment would be the same as giving them training on cybersecurity or giving them training on how to wear safety shoes. Uh, you're gonna give them the training, you're gonna hope they do it and they go off and do their own thing. And maybe it becomes important later, maybe it doesn't to them but there's no reason for them to take any further action and there's nothing else that they're connecting to that behavior. If you're training people, new hires and mandatory refresher training on these topics, make sure you're embedding those communication trainings as well. Make sure you're teaching people more about communication itself. And one topic that wasn't uh, covered in this presentation, but really is also a key uh, when you think about uh, people's treatment of each other is intent versus impact. And so we talk about critical training for communication and communication skills and being inclusive. One of the things that you wanna embed in that is an understanding of intent versus impact. Because when HR practitioners sit down two individuals who have some type of employee relations problem in the workplace, there is a high percentage of, of situations in which the result was, that's not what I meant. Or I didn't mean that when I said that. Now, whether or not the other individual believes the intent uh, is another challenge, another problem that goes back to the culture, the unconscious biases and, and things of that nature. But at the same time, if you're building an environment where you teach people to, to not emotionally and irrationally respond and knee jerk to comments and more think about, wait a minute, let me ask Jane or John what their intent was in that communication. Uh, it, it's really important to, to think about. And so, you know, when you're doing management training, when you're doing leadership training, and it should be mandatory for the whole workforce. When we talk about consistency, it shouldn't just be the employees that go through this training. It should be the managers all the way through your C-suite should be involved in this training to show consistency. But one of the topics you wanna cover through this 
uh, is certainly how to treat one another and how to recognize intent versus impact. I'll give you another example. Uh, in order to get to trust and respect and dignity, let's say a supervisor comes in and yells at an employee and that employee about a report or something they were going to perform. If that employee immediately responds with yelling back and an argument persists, and then maybe it goes to name calling, and then these unconscious bias come out and they say, well, maybe they treated me this way because of my color, because of my gender, because of my age. Suddenly they were looking for reasons of why that person did something to them. When, if they were to just stop before any of the yelling responses and ask the supervisor to treat them differently in how they communicate, to speak to them with respect and dignity, to speak to them professionally and not cover necessarily the topic of why the supervisor was speaking to them that way. So what I mean by this is supervisor comes in, yells at the employee, not necessarily agree that the supervisor should be yelling at the employee. In fact, they shouldn't be yelling at the employee, but they come in, they yell at the employee, and then the employee decides to handle it differently. He says, hey, Mr. and Ms. Supervisor, before we continue, I want to make sure that we agreed we're going to treat each other with respect and dignity. We're going to speak to each other professionally. I think we need to talk about how we're speaking to each other before we talk about this report. And suddenly the dynamics change where there's an accountability, a mutual accountability about communication. And that communication gets addressed. And so immediately you're eliminating the biases, you're eliminating the belief and perception that there's some reason other than the work that they're doing that to that person. And you can get to, I'm gonna to talk to you with respect, you're gonna to talk to me with respect, and my intent of this conversation is X. If you can get to that intent and then share what the impact was on you, you will suddenly change the dynamics of interaction in the workplace. And that civil treatment of one another that you need to train people on, that becomes a catalyst for inclusive behavior, a more respectful behavior, and a trusting environment. When it becomes a trusting environment, the opportunity again for it to become a harassing environment, the opportunity for it to become uh, a risky environment where uh, comments and behaviors will rise to the level of legal risk for your business, to where someone discriminates, to where someone goes on and acts in a way based on a protected characteristic, you've lost the opportunity to contain that because once that happens, it's very hard to put that genie back in the bottle. But if you look at the fundamentals and what we're talking about here today, we're looking at these fundamentals about how do you go about communicating with the employees? How do you train the employees? How do you get them speaking with respect to one another? That's what's critical. And so when you're considering your training programs and you're working with your HR departments or your training departments uh, or whoever's in charge of building your training programs, which shouldn't just be on the job training as far as here's what you need to do, good luck, really thinking about what's critical for the business to be successful and to sustain your culture, these are items that you should include. That civil treatment of one another, respecting ideas and the values of others, avoiding that inherent and unconscious biases, and then following that golden rule. I mean, we've all learned back in kindergarten, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you can really truly get your business and your environment and your organization to behave in a way that young children are taught to behave, suddenly you may have better communication. Uh, you'll eliminate that lens of bias to the best of your ability and improve that inclusion and communication. And when we talk about training about inherent and unconscious biases, it's not about training them on, or it's not about telling them stop having biases or stop thinking this way. Even civil treatment training, when I did this in many pharmaceutical companies and we went company-wide and delivered civil treatment training, it all came down to the root of how do you speak to others? How do you interact with others? And what are you saying to them? Why are you saying it that way? And have you thought about the impact, right? And so all this is to say that if you train your workforce, if you actually take time to build programs that recognize the value of effective communication in the workplace, it can be a direct correlation to reducing, mitigating, or almost diminishing any opportunity for harassing culture or harassing behavior to happen. More so, if most of your workforce or the majority of your workforce are behaving this way, the outliers in your workplace, those who are not conforming to effective communication, are extremely visible and it will allow your management and your workforce and, and, and HR to address those issues quickly, effectively, 
and either get that behavior changed or work diligently to get them out of the organization because they're a danger to the other employees. So this is really critical. Think about what's periodic, mandatory, and relevant training for your workforce, but consider communication as a really critical process to take into account. So let's kind of sum up what, what I covered today because it may have been challenging to think about how communication really ties into harassment in the workplace and mitigating your harassment uh, risks and as a business doing things other than just training on harassment prevention uh, to mitigate and, and stop the liability that exists that's inherent with harassing behavior. But harassment exists very easily when your environment lacks effective communication, especially communication that gives the respect and dignity to all employees consistently, fairly. If you think about any organization that wins awards that they're the employer of choice, usually they have very good inclusive practices, they have very good communication strategies, uh, they have good social responsibility and lots of engagement with the employees. The more of those behaviors in your culture exist, the less likely you're gonna have harassing behaviors evolve and become prominent in your workplace. And it's gonna make sure people feel easy coming to work. And the moment something isn't going the way they expect, you've given them an avenue, a channel, and a, a lane of trust that they can report something, get it addressed without any kind of retribution or retaliation to them. Trust is developed through that successful communication and professional mutual beneficial relationships. So I encourage you to really think about when you train your supervisors, it should not be a matter of telling a supervisor, listen to what your employee says, listen to what they tell you, and then just respond. That's not genuine. And we all know we can tell when someone's being genuine. If you can give your supervisors and managers emotional intelligence skills and training and guidance on how to genuinely care about the success of their employees, recognizing that their employee success turns into their success, the business success, and that there's a mutual benefit of helping the staff be successful and, and performing well, that will come through in how they communicate, how they set goals, how they communicate expectations, how they present performance feedback, whether it's positive or negative. And so that trust that's developed really goes a long way to eliminating harassment and not to beat a dead horse, but that trust means that when someone says that was not my intent when I said that, it becomes believable. You will believe someone when they say, no, I had no intention in that email to make you feel bad. This is what I meant. Someone that trusts that other individual, that other person is willing to say, you know what? They didn't mean that. That wasn't their intent. But if you do not have trust between employees and supervisors, employees and employees, management and whatever, then that culture and environment will not be inclusive and that communication can easily break down leading to harassing behavior or harassment, uh, a, a harassing environment in which it's permissible, it's okay, and there's no trust that exists. And then finally, inclusion and diversity uh, of, of thought, I have them through there, apologize, uh, mitigates harassment, reducing the risk and low liability for your business. So if you allow for that diversity of thought, and if you allow people to bring their ideas to the table, you teach them these communication strategies, you help educate them on what the preventive measures are to prohibit and to prevent harassing behavior and how to report it, all that allows an employee to feel included in the workplace, given a voice that they can communicate their needs, concerns, their wants, their desires, uh, their challenges, and that they're gonna get the help they need to be successful, you will then mitigate the harassment that could potentially evolve or develop in the organization. So a lot of content today. Uh, I went through a lot of ideas and, and strategies to go about this, but at the end of the day, know that you can take action other than just harassment prevention training that will uh, permeate throughout the business, change behaviors, improve trust and engagement, productivity will improve, and this risk and liability of harassment will diminish significantly. So. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with everybody here today, and I'm going to uh, turn it over to Catherine to uh, see if we have any questions from the audience. Thank you so much, Warren. Uh, we do have a few questions, and I'll go ahead and get into those. 
So the first one is, why do you relate communication as a key problem to harassment in the workplace? So um, as we covered through the presentation, it, harassment usually begins not by groups of people, but by an individual uh, and an individual uh, not respecting another person. And oftentimes they begin that bullying or harassing behavior verbally. Uh, and that verbal communication, if someone's trained well in effective communication skills and that diversity of thought at that intent versus impact, they can immediately identify and address and confront that harassing behavior. And so while building a culture where they have that trust and engagement throughout uh, can mitigate or even prevent it when it's happening, if and when it happens, and I shouldn't even say if, when it happens, because you're bound to have an employee behave this way, um, the recipient will be better armed and prepared to use communication skills to address it, either through challenging the person, confronting the person professionally and respectfully of how they're speaking to them, um, talking about intent versus impact, and then also communicating and reporting their concerns to management and feeling that they can trust something's gonna be done about it. So in all those facets of how a harassment uh, situation uh, evolves, communication is key in various aspects to prevent it, to mitigate it, and to address it as as or if and when it happens. So I, I think when I reflect back on all the times I've had to do employee relations investigations, uh, when I've had to look into harassment, discrimination suits, whatever it may be, I always find some root cause of the behavior was an interaction of communication. Uh, and so if we can get to that and we can raise awareness on communication and better strategies, I think we can have a direct impact on harassing behavior in the workplace. Thank you. Uh, we have a question about inclusion and diversity, and people often use them interchangeably, but there's a, I know there's a, um, a fine line between them and there is a difference. Um, and we read different articles about them. They come up in staff meetings and um, in our everyday lives when we, when we read different articles or uh, in the news um, or in staff meetings, things such as that. So the question is, you touched on the topic of inclusion during the presentation but I thought that had to do with diversity. Could you clarify, please? Absolutely, that's a great question, very perceptive. Um, so in the context of DNI that we hear about, diversity and inclusion, there is a significant um, strategy for organizations to recognize leveraging the diversity of their workforce, the diverse characteristics of their business uh, and the employees to include them based on those protected characteristics. And so if I wanted to make sure that I understood millennials better, if I want to make sure I understood a certain race or gender better, I may tap into that uh, uh, segment of our workforce and ask them questions so that I can market my product or service better to that contingency, for example, or that customer base or that market. And so there's a lot of advantages to leveraging um, diversity and inclusion in a way of how do you harness the power of your diverse workforce into making your organization better, um, bringing ideas to the table and being inclusive. There is an overlap here, but I'm using the term of inclusion for anybody. It doesn't matter what their protected characteristic may be. It doesn't matter what their labels may be um, from a diversity perspective. I'm talking about in communications, you want to include everybody across the organization. You want to be inclusive in how you approach people uh, because it will mitigate harassment. Now, there is a huge overlap there, but there's also um, in industry confusion around what diversity is versus what affirmative action is. So um, when we get down to you know the, the, the core definitions and the core application, you don't want to just rely on inclusion only has to do with diversity. Inclusion is be inclusive in all your activities, because if you do that, inclusion because of diversity becomes simple. So again, if, if, if you make a basic culture and your behaviors in your workplace are inclusive regardless of anything, uh, they're just inclusive because you want to involve everybody that works there or all your employees, you cannot worry about the diversity piece because you're already going to have that covered. But great question because there is overlap, but in the context of this, I'm really talking about inclusive communications. Okay, all right, thanks for the clarification. Okay, another question here. Um, why do you believe leadership involvement is so important to mitigating harassment? 
um, employees often harass each other and not managers. <laughs> right, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, it's very rare that I hear someone harassing their manager or supervisor and then the supervisor coming and complaining because they usually just exercise their authority and shut that down. But the leadership right. involvement is because if employees uh, can see and feel involvement from their C-suite and that their leadership or business owners or managers actually walk the walk, they actually live and breathe the same behaviors they expect of others, they have a higher level of confidence and a higher level of trust that we talked about today to bring their concerns forward. And so when I've had to go into client organizations for an employee investigation or to help them defend a suit that might be brought and they're in the early stages of it, one of the things I find out when I interview the employee or the former employee is that they'll say, well, I couldn't talk to anybody. They're not, it's not like they're going to do anything. Or I told someone they did nothing about it. That breakdown in trust and that breakdown that they believe the leaders of the organization will do what's right and ethical and appropriate to help them uh, is critical. And so if leaders aren't finding a way to model that behavior and then encourage all the way through the organization, every layer of management to model that behavior, the trust will not be there. And so people will take different actions and, and behave differently because they don't think there's anybody to help them. And again, people want that voice, but not only do they want a voice, they want something to happen. And it doesn't always mean that they want someone fired or you know, they want management to, to change a policy. They just want to make sure that management's going to do something to make their coming to work every day more comfortable. If a leader makes an employee feel that, hey, I'm okay going to work, I don't mind going to work. I mean, I don't know who, everybody would rather be on an island somewhere, I guess, but in order to go to work and feel comfortable, feel safe, feel respected and feel like I can do my job without any kind of hindrance, um, that's the leader's responsibility. And the more the leaders can create that environment and culture, the more effective that inclusive communication will be. And the more they'll trust them, less likely to file a lawsuit. Okay. And uh, I think we have time for one more question. Uh, so communication is important. How specifically could my business start to improve trust in the workplace? Great question. So a lot of strategies and concepts were thrown out there at you today, and, I, and it can be very overwhelming. And I know these decks are always uh, available, so um, I would review them. But I think the most um, uh, impactful and easy to implement strategy as you go back to your workplaces is to consider how you currently handle performance reviews or performance management and setting and communicating goals to your employees. If you can just add a step by training your supervisors to ask the employees for feedback on how they're helping them be successful and then offering help in making sure they're successful. So really demonstrating through communication that they care about the employee and they care about the employee's success, what can we do to help you be successful? Versus just, well, you're not doing this well, get better, right? So that minor tweak of going back and teaching all of your people leaders, hey, start doing this, try this, and here's skills and training on how to do it. You will immediately start creating that two-way conversation. You'll start making employees feel more part of the communication and included. I think that's the easiest, and most immediate and free. It doesn't cost you anything other than time to train them. So there is a cost of your time, but there's no additional systems, technology, platforms, programs you have to do in order to just simply implement this quick strategy of teach your people leaders how to engage those employees uh, better. That's it. If you can do that, uh, I think you have an immediate change and impact that will, will, be, will be felt by your workforce. Okay, thank you so much. Do you have any other words of advice or anything that you'd like to leave with us as we um, get close to uh, wrapping up here? Sure, yeah, absolutely, thank you. So um, I think it's important to know that this is not a light switch. Um, changing cultures is very challenging. And if your culture is facing any of the challenges or problems um, that made you wanna hear about this presentation because you wanna fix these things in your workplace, um, it's a slow evolution. It's not a revolution. And people change at different paces. And everyone is often averse to change because they don't know what change is going to mean for them. And so the more you can be transparent in your training programs, 
the more you can communicate what you're trying to do and the intent of these programs, the more likely you'll have adoption by the workforce, adoption by your people leaders to exercise these practices and uh, roll them out. One of the things I, I, I believe are beneficial when you're going through this is sharing success stories. So if you can have employees or managers share their success with, with others in the workplace about their changed communication styles or engaging them differently, or, hey, we had a project team that historically we didn't involve the other two departments, but because we did, we were successful. If you can share those success stories, uh, it's kind of like building those extrinsic motivators where someone who feels success once wants to repeat that behavior so they feel success and winning again. So do that. I think if you can um, make those minor changes to communication, but then reward the success by sharing it and, and involving everybody in that success, I think it's going to go a long way to changing that culture over time, but it will not change over time. And this made me think of one other thing, Catherine. You have to think about all of this uh, in your culture, the communication, the behaviors, uh, what you expect in your talent acquisition practices. When you are screening applicants and you are doing your interviews and hopefully behavioral interviews, um, you want to identify their communication behaviors really critically. Most people say one requirement for the job is good communication skills. Well, do you ever sit back at the leadership or management team and define for your business what that really means? What does good communication in your company mean? And then are you applying those characteristics to your screening? Because if you hire into your organization people who do not align with your culture or expectations, it's going to fail over time. So blend that too. So you know, implement these strategies, but also think about anybody you're bringing into the organization, do they truly fit with what you're trying to accomplish? Otherwise, your efforts could be futile. Great, really wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Thank you, Warren, for coming on today and doing this uh, webinar with us today. Very much appreciate it. My pleasure, thank you. Thank you. So uh, thank you attendees for being here. I wanted to um, encourage you to also to reach out to Warren and uh, to uh, Symbian's HR if you have any uh, HR needs or questions. Uh, he's wonderful resource um, and has uh, done a lot of uh, webinars with us and uh, radio shows with me and um, blogs. So um, be sure to look those up. But uh, if you have any questions at all, please reach out to um, Warren directly. And uh, um, he's a wonderful resource. So please um, feel free to, to reach out to him and to, uh, to his uh, um, wonderful staff there at Symbian's HR. So thank you again, Warren, for being here. My pleasure, thank you. Thank you. So please use the contact information on the screen for any further questions. If you think of any others, please send us questions. We'll forward them on. Please remember your PACOM and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you directly from within two days following the broadcast. There's uh, no need to request it separately. It'll come automatically. Um, also remember uh, before this webinar ends, uh, don't forget to download uh, the slides, um, a PDF of the slides. You can do that uh, right here, either on the side of the screen or an upper um, or on the upper side of the screen. Uh, you can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.